One of the best ways that I've discovered to broach a hard conversation or something where we might be feeling some kind of way about bringing up a, a touchy subject is to use the phrase, I have something on my heart that I want to share with you. Are you open to receiving it? We could even say something as even clearer, like, I've been thinking a lot about my business and what it's costing to run it or to get it started. I'd love to chat about it with you. Are you open to that? Welcome to the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. If you find money to be the number one, two, or even third largest source of stress in your relationship, then you're in the right place. Going beyond how to budget, invest, and do your taxes, we're going to explore financial intimacy. Discover how to talk with your partner about your shared financial life. Let's take the awkward and painful out-of-money conversations. Join me and hit follow to listen to weekly inspiring, healing, and motivating interviews with financial therapists, couples therapists, and financial planners, and so many more. Let's go on the journey of financial intimacy together. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. Today, it's my distinct honor to welcome Elise Fessler to the show. She is a voice and embodied leadership coach. And uh, you might be scratching your head as you hear that description, but I know it'll make perfect sense by the time that we're done with this conversation. I got to hear Elise on another podcast where she was talking about the nervous system, trauma, singing, and voice, and probably a couple other things. I'm not remembering off the top of my head, but I was like, I have to have her on the Healthy Love and Money podcast. She has something powerful to say. And so here she is. Elise, welcome to the show. I can't wait for this conversation. Thanks so much, Ed. I'm really happy to be here. So at least tell the listeners, how does someone become a voice and embodied leadership coach? What's the journey to this, this point in time in life and doing this work? Hmm. Yeah, I always get a little heart palpitation when I hear that question because there's so much obviously in my own you know, experience in my own heart that has brought me to this place. But essentially, it started with me discovering my voice as a young child and being terribly shy. You know, I I started out being terribly shy. And I think my mother said that I never spoke unless I could say it perfectly. (laughs) You know what I mean? So it wasn't because I was a perfectionist. It was just because I was just like, there was a lot of fear around speaking up. And of course they encouraged me. So it had nothing to do with them. It really was a nature thing, I think. And yeah, you know, I I discovered my own voice through theater and through music, and I was able to build confidence through that. And that led me to studying voice in college. And then to the point where, you know, stage fright, (laughs) you know, showed up for me uh, sort of later in my life. And it it turned out that it was because of some unresolved uh, traumas that I had experienced when I was younger and sort of throughout my life. And that was when I came to embodiment work and I discovered that understanding my own nervous system was like the way through all of that to be able to speak up, to be able to share my truth, to be able to step up on stage or on a Zoom call, like whatever it might be. And that was what led me to to combining the two, right? So I work with public speakers and I also still work with artists and I help people understand themselves at their operating level of their nervous system. Wow. 
That's so powerful. So it really has, this journey has been somewhat of a journey of necessity. Like as you're growing and you realize like, oh, I want to sing and perform, but now I'm having overwhelming stage fright. And then you're getting help with dealing with stage fright and it's connected to some unresolved traumas. Mm -hmm. And then, oh, how do I deal with that? It's by understanding my nervous system and learning how to work with it. And then it's, I'm not alone in this. Many people struggle with this and I get to help other people with it. That's so amazing. I know, you know, I think the connection for me is in my work with couples, they're often struggling to find their voice in the relationship. Mm -hmm. And it feels like what they have to say doesn't get heard or is misinterpreted. And so a lot of working with couples is helping each person find their more authentic voice and Mm -hmm. helping them connect through the pieces of the nervous system and unresolved trauma is, is part of that work as well. And so I'm curious, how do you help people? Connect those dots and start working through that in your work. Mm. It's the entry point is the nervous system, right? And what I mean by that is, you know, there's some sciencey stuff that we could talk about, but essentially, mm-hmm. the nervous system is the operating system of our bodies. And yet, so many of us spend tons of time in our heads, right? Because our brain is interpreting all of these signals and it doesn't really know. There's a really funny meme that I saw. A couple of months ago, and it's like a picture of the brain, and on top of it, it says manages the nervous system, and then at the bottom, it says has no idea how to manage the nervous system. And I thought it was kind of <laughs> it was kind of funny, right? Because we spend so much time thinking, right? And so ultimately, the entry point is the nervous system and creating what I like to call felt safety around communication. Because the one sciencey thing that I'll share is that. The research shows that any time we experience any kind of trauma, our voice and our breath are always affected. Always. We gasp, we stay silent, we scream. And so then our bodies wisely organize around that to protect us. And so, yeah, I mean, when we're having hard conversations about, I think about your clients and people you work with, we're having hard conversations about money. Well, of course, we're either going to yell or we're going to stay silent. Because that's that's the pattern maybe that we've learned, right? So I don't know if I answered your question or oh, not. But. I'm falling silent and the listeners can't see me, but I'm leaning back in my chair as I'm just sitting with the depth of what you said. Mm. It's so significant. And it's even as much as I swim in the these waters and read this stuff and talk about it, hearing it from someone else's voice is so significant. And Mm. I want listeners to really slow down and hear about this meme that you talked about. So can you talk through the meme again and and give us that visual? Because I think it's foundational for people to walk away with it. Like this will be a major nugget. So can you walk us through this meme again? Yeah, I'd love to. You know, when I studied neurosomatic intelligence is is the the train. I mean, I've worked with some folks want polyvagal theory, which is another nervous system theory. And then also the game changer for me was when I started studying neurosomatic intelligence and my mentors in that process taught me about how the nervous system works. Yeah. And essentially it's body first, right? Uh-huh. So we've got all of these signals. This is the operating level of our body. And then those signals are sent to our brain and our brain interprets them based on capacity. And whether or not that we have something in our brains, it's the amygdala, if anyone is sciencey and listening, but we call it the threat bucket. <laughs> and if okay. the threat yeah. bucket is full or overflowing, 
Right. It's like, of course, it's going to say it's going to direct traffic to the place that would be would call a stress response. And then there's once it's interpreted, that's the output, right? So it's like input, interpretation, output. And so this meme, I think, describes that so beautifully because we've got all of these inputs coming into our brain, whether it's the stress in our lives, whether it's what we're witnessing in the world, our own personal relationships, our own personal traumas and experiences coming into our brain all of the time. And our brain's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That is way too much information for me. Yeah. I don't know what to do. So I'm just going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to put a stress response on the, on the front burner. Right. Okay. Essentially. I mean, it's a real simple way to describe it, but I think that's why I thought the meme was so funny. (laughs) Well, I think the meme, it was funny and striking to me is because most of us are trained to think that our brain is in charge and that our thoughts are in charge and that if we can somehow get control of our thoughts, then everything else will flow through and work. And yeah, what you're you're saying, and this is not just Elisa's opinion. This is no. hard science. That's right? right. This is there's plenty of empirical research that is yeah. helping us understand that our bodies are our primary source of intelligence and knowledge. And unless we know how to work with that, our wonderful brains aren't going to serve us as well as we would like them to. Is that yeah, right? And so the brain is basically saying. Yeah, I know you need nervous system. I know what to do. And the nervous system in this meme is basically laughing and saying like, no, you really don't know what's happening. I control you. You don't control me. Yeah, it's really the boss. It's like the boss of the situation and it pulls the strings. And so I think, as you mentioned, there's a lot of research that's happening. And I think a lot of folks, including people who are in the talk therapy realm. I mean, when I did my trainings, the majority of the courses were filled with psychotherapists. Yeah. And people understanding, right, that sometimes, listen, it's not that it's not, it's not that it's not important. Of course, we need to work with our thoughts and all of those things. And if those signals that are coming through are of threat, Right. Then our brain's going to interpret them as threat. And then we're going to output in that way. Like, I feel threatened and that's how I'm going to communicate. Well, and I think it's right. I think that the generalized theory of talk therapy has been like, if we can verbally process what's happening to us, then everything else will be okay. If we can make meaning and sense out of it and build enough self-awareness around what's going on and communicate effectively our needs, our wants, our desires, then it should all work out. But a lot of that is missing what's happening in our body and the body-based memories that will hijack that whole wonderful process as soon as we leave the comfort of the therapeutic office. Yeah, that's a really great way to put it. That I call it like it's sometimes just like momentary change or like short-lived change. And I myself have experienced this through my own work with, we'll say top-down approaches, like cognitive approaches. They were so helpful. And game-changing for me in many, many ways. And there was still stuff happening in my body. And that was what led me to my own, my first somatic therapist and allowed me to start working with that operating level. And my goodness, you want to talk about a match made in heaven. That's when you get the somatic and the cognitive working together. It's like game-changing. Yes. I just... I hope you can hear in Elisa's voice the lighting up, her face is lighting up as we're talking. And 
it is game changing because it I think the the word that comes to mind is it's integrating. Mm. So we're not dismissing the value of talk therapy and processing. And I too feel like I have grown a lot by that increased self-awareness and being able to articulate the fact that I actually have feelings, you mm-hmm. know, and being able to better name them. But there's still all this stuff that's happening in my body that I'm continuing to learn how to work with and and exploring more into that somatic side. So I'm, I'm in that community of psychotherapists, family therapists that are waking up to somatic reality. And, and this is where I think there's this huge opportunity is what's happening in our body when we go to face money. Ooh, I just had a reaction. I don't know about you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting. Like it it gives it, there's an opportunity for for things to feel more regulated and I mean, that's kind of what regulation is, right? It's, I think there's a, a misunderstanding for a lot of folks that regulation just means we're calm all the time. And it doesn't. It means like I can have that response. Right. And then I can also ride the wave of it and be, and not like have it drive the bus. Right. So, yes. yeah, I mean, I can have a response and there's now new signals that are kind of overriding the old signals. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. And I think that's, we're not shooting for this flat line calm. That's no, not. That's you know, dissociation. Not, <laughs> that's dissociation. Takes one to know one. This guy. I know it know. well. Yeah. But as we're, so, but to help people have it clear in their head is we're not looking to get our bodies to have no reaction to money. Mm-hmm. Right. It, right. It's more, we're looking to work with our bodies as the nervous system senses the levels of threat and danger and safety and security and can we get to a more embodied feeling of safety as we face all the different money topics that come up yeah because there's a lot of different money topics that we have to go through there's a lot of different money positions we need to be able to take and most yeah. of us live in a financial straitjacket mm-hmm. like where we can only take one or two kind of financial positions and it's like i like to mix metaphors so it's like you want to get your yoga poses. You want to get the number of yoga poses you can do with money down. Like I can look at my net worth statement. I can look at my insurance, my life insurance, my disability insurance, my health insurance. I can look at my taxes without it sending me into conniptions. Yeah. I can talk about my estate plan with my family. And yet just the mention of many of those words for people is the body just goes there. Yeah. And I think the work that I do with my clients and also myself, it's a daily practice, is yeah. to choose consciously outside of those moments. So when I am feeling calm, to actually train my nervous system. Yeah. And that's to create greater pe- capacity for the moments where it shows up. Like just now when I had that response, yeah. right? right? I noticed that it was there, but it's not dictating the rest of this conversation, right? So, right. but that's because of capacity that's been built on the outside of, of the stress, the stressor moments. And it's interesting because a lot of my clients will explore, they come to me for this very reason, but then yeah. the training actually feels like a threat because it's one more thing to do. It's one more chore, right? It feels like a chore right. almost, but it's, it's really how we, it's how we create that lasting change. I truly believe that. Well, it's it's the exercising and developing the capacity, right? And just like if we wanted to be a runner, we would need to go for daily runs or 
runs at least multiple times in a week. Otherwise, we're not going to be much of a runner. Like if we want to experience yeah. regulation, it can be developed. And maybe that's the good news <laughs> is we can develop greater internal aware self-regulation and re-regulation when we hit those spikes of nervous system imbalance. I was just going to say, and the beautiful thing is then we can have conversations in co-regulation with other people. So <sighs> if our partner is having... When we're regulated, we can have a conversation with somebody who isn't regulated and bring them into a state of more regulation because of our nervous system response. So can you help the listeners differentiate co-regulation with from codependence? Yeah, I think, so I mentioned that self, when we can self-regulate, and again, regulation just means that we can ride those waves. It's being able to vacillate between those states of activation and more calm with more ease, right? Yeah. Flexibility, we'll call it, since we're using the, we'll use the yoga analogy. So yeah, so being able to to vacillate. And so co-regulation essentially means that we can co-regulate with any living being. We can co-regulate with animals. In fact, I would say probably some of the best co-regulation I've ever had is with my dog. But it's, it's when another being, another living thing, right? Right. It's like position, breath, tone of voice, body. What's the word? Why can't I think of the word, Ed? Body Uh, positioning. (laughs) That's not the word I'm looking for, but posture, right? Like posture, posture, all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes my brain just like, oh, it must be time for my B12 shot. I think that's (laughs) that's what showed up there. But, you know, we can use all of those things. So our breath, our posture, our tone of voice. That can help somebody who is in a more activated state come into a more calm state. And so I use the example of animals. We can use nature as well. Mm. I think of stepping into a forest, co-regulating with trees, right? Like Uh to be able to map that and track that in our bodies and, and what a gift that is when we're having these hard conversations. And let's be real, conversations about money typically are hard. And so I would say that uh, co-regulation is the antithesis of codependency, right? Because it it allows us to stand autonomously and still kind of like I'm nobody can see this if they're not watching the video, but I'm doing a little dance with my hands where we're uh, meeting each other and then also kind of flowing back and forth between the energies of the communication of the nervous system response, the energy. Right. So it's, I think maybe said it slightly different, like codependence is often about trying to control another person's emotional response or shut it down or us shutting down because they're having an emotional response versus co-regulation is about being able to show up and stay fully present and attuned to what this person is experiencing and to not be overwhelmed by it, but to recognize it, to mirror it. And to in time bring it back in sync and kind of tying back with singing i've heard some i don't know if it's research i want to call it research you may know that singing can actually be very therapeutic because singing is about co-regulation it's about coming in sync or harmony with others mm. welcome to 2024 and thank you for listening to the healthy love money podcast I'd like to take you behind the scenes of therapy-informed financial planning, where we talk about emotions. 
We talk about retirement plans. We talk about painful family experiences with money and so much more. There's no need to hide things that leave you feeling embarrassed or ashamed about your financial situation. This year, we watch couples and individuals work through financial anxiety and start talking lovingly about money. We saw couples and individuals take action towards their goals, like closing a business that no longer fit them, paying off debt that felt crushing, increasing their comfort with their realized wealth, and ultimately overcoming some of those financial secrets that have been plaguing the relationship. Ultimately, the best part was seeing smiles return to our clients' faces about life, relationships, and money. This is why we do therapy-informed financial planning. I invite you to make 2024 the year you start therapy-informed financial planning. Check the show notes below to schedule your free 30-minute consultation. When we sing with other people, I think it it is one of the greatest gifts we can experience, even if you don't identify as a singer. Right. Think back to that, your favorite concert that you've ever been to. And the moment that the band drops out and the I have goosebumps thinking about it, the whole stadium is singing the chorus of the song that everybody loves. Right. I mean, that is co-regulation, right? Like that's connection, that's community, that's we are all in this together, right? I mean, that is such a gift. And then also there's the the kind of sciency reason why singing is such a gift to us for our nervous systems. And that's because it it helps to stimulate and vibrate our vagus nerve, which is the nerve that is the nerve of grace, right? It is the nerve of being able to waffle back and forth between those states. And, And it controls our vocal cords. And so when we sing, it literally is, and it's a bundle of nerves up that goes from the base of the skull all the way down to our pelvic floor. And so when we sing, we're, we're literally vibrating that nerve and allowing it to come into, into more regulation. So that in itself isn't necessarily about co-regulation, but when we sing, we, we're literally changing the physiology of our body. Yeah. I've heard toning the vagus nerve, right? It's of getting it toned up and i think Mm -hmm. kind of the in my mind it's between having no shape at all i don't know the nerve the the biggest nerve could take no shape and being rigid like overly tightened but you know it's like the nervous system needs to have flexibility that's kind of what i'm hearing is it can move it's not just flaccid all over the place but it's also not so tight that it just snaps if you pluck it yeah, that actually to that point, there's some some really great research that that tells us that if we treat the vagus nerve as a pinched nerve, like rather than something that needs to be stimulated, we can decompress it, right? Ah. Because I think what's happening for a lot of people is that part of our nervous system is so rigid. And when you think about it, you think about trauma, everything that we have been through in the last three, almost four years now, like the the collective nervous system is right. not okay, right? And so when oh. we think of it rather yeah. than something that needs to be stimulated, we can think of it as something that needs to be decompressed or unimpinged. That's right. when we start getting that that little free flowing movement. I believe. Yeah. So I want to come 
full circle, a little full circle here, you're talking about you work with a lot of entrepreneurs and leaders and helping them find their voice and money shows up for them. Can you elaborate a little bit more on how you hear money showing up and some of the activities that you're doing to help them find their voice, come to terms with money? Yeah. When we work together, it's funny because in in my marketing, I say, find your voice because that's what people know or what people want. They want to find their voice. When we get into the work, we talk about accessing our voice because we don't, like our voice didn't go anywhere. <laughs> it still exists, you know? <laughs> it's still in there, right? It still exists. And so I do say, come on over. I'll help you find your voice. And when we get into the nitty gritty, it's about accessing and it's about rediscovering it. Because let's be real, a lot of us have had experiences where our, we used our voice and then it was suppressed. Right. Culturally, personal experience, familial structures, right? Patriarchy. Right. It's all of it. It's all there. And so, yeah, so it's accessing the voice and, and essentially what we do. And, and this will be my answer to pretty much every, every question about what are your tools? And it yeah. really is to start creating and cultivating felt safety around the idea of having receiving, giving, spending money. Sometimes that means that we cultivate felt safety using nervous system, actual drills, right? Around the mindsets that we have. And this is where, when you mentioned the integration of of cognitive and, and nervous system somatic work, that's where it's so beautiful because we can start, because sometimes changing a thought is a threat right? Our brain literally perceives that change, habit, limiting beliefs, mindsets, all of those things as a threat because they're there for a reason, right? They're there to protect us in some way. And so when we start exploring these nervous system regulating drills, it's amazing how, I'm going to say quickly, I was going to snap my fingers. It's not always quick, but there's usually some shift on a baseline level around the safety. And we're talking about money here on your podcast, but this is for every, it's for everything that I work on with my clients. Yeah. So it's not just for money, but yeah, essentially it's like, I think of it as like shrouding the hard thing in safety, mm-hmm. right? It's like putting a warm blanket around it and saying like, It's okay if you don't feel safe about that, but let's see if we can change that. Like, let's see if we can shift that safety. And that's that input thing we talked about earlier, body to brain. So So that's, yeah, those are the exercises that we do, essentially. Can I give, like, present a real life issue and have you work with me as like a pseudo client, like in two minutes, would that be okay? Let's give it a whirl. Yeah. So I'm needing to really talk. This is an amalgam of me and some clients. So no one's being called out here directly. But Mm. I need to talk to my wife about my business and the reality of how much money it's costing to get things going. And it's not working out quite as well as I want. And I just, I feel this kind of sinking feeling in my stomach about having that conversation with her. What, What can I do? Hmm. So what I would do, first of all, this actually is not uncommon. This sounds very familiar, <laughs> this scenario. 
how do I broach this hard conversation? Right. 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 So I always would say, let's do some work around your own felt safety before you. And so there's actual drills that I do with my clients and I'm, I'm touching my jawline and my neck here. There's some nerves that are directly responsible for the tightening of the throat muscles, the tongue muscle, all of that. And so we work in around there. And without this being a video, it would be <laughs> kind of challenging to do them. But there's they involve kind of tapping along the jawline. There's a couple where we actually stimulate the nerve with a vibrating object, like a vibrating toothbrush or something. Yeah. And then we revisit that feeling in the gut, right? So when there's, and this is where we're talking about shrouding. So the feeling in the gut is the cue that something threatening is about to happen. And we create that felt safety around it. And then we revisit it. So how, what are you noticing now? Oh, like there feels like there's a little more flexibility there, or maybe there isn't, right? Because sometimes it doesn't shift. But I always say, let's do the drills for yourself first before you broach the conversation. And then one of the phrases, and this is like an actionable bite for your listeners. I find it challenging to put my work into tips and tricks, but here's one for the books. Yeah. One of the best ways that I've discovered to broach a a hard conversation or something where we might be feeling some kind of way about bringing up a, a touchy subject is to use the phrase, I have something on my heart that I want to share with you. Are you open to receiving it? We could even say something as even clearer, like I've been thinking a lot about my business and what it's costing to run it or to get it started. I'd love to chat about it with you. Are you open to that? And the reason I think that phrase is so important is because number one, we're asking consent. Right. Right. And a lot of communication loggerheads happen when one person feels like they've been sort of, I call it trauma bombing, but just Uh like they, they haven't been invited into the conversation. The conversation just starts. So I love that. And then also it's like telling that person that this is something that's been weighing, right? So we're kind of evening the playing field a little bit on that, in that respect. Nine times out of 10, those conversations will be more, when you use the word successful, it's not the right word, but it's like more loving, more easeful, and more flexible and flowing than if we show up and say, I'm really stressed out, (laughs) right? Because this is the nervous system thing. If our nervous systems are talking to each other, when we set the playing field as a, a regulated Thing, then yeah. the conversation will likely be more regulated. So I think I kind of went off on a little tangent there, but yeah, it always starts with felt safety around the actual sensations that we're feeling and the action that we're about to take, and then approaching the conversation from that regulated place. So I'm really interested. There's, you know, and I just kind of ran my fingers under my jawline. At- and what you're saying is that there's something in doing that. There, and I'm, I realize there's probably more to this technique than yeah. what we're describing. But even that, for me, just feels very soothing. Yes. 
just running under kind of the bottom of my jaw gently and bringing it forward to the, the tip of my jaw. Yeah. If you actually run or tap, gently tap along your jawline, there's yeah. a nerve called the glossal pharyngeal nerve there. Oh, I like it. I know, right? Say that 10 times fast. And that is responsible for tongue tension and also swallowing. So you can actually uh-huh. swallow while you're doing it as well. Okay. And while you're doing it, just notice if there's a baseline shift, right? So it's just at that baseline level of your body, right? And then you can even stop and notice. There might be a little bit more sweetness. There might be a little bit of rep, an easefulness in the jaw, the tongue. Yeah. So that's one of the exercises that we can use. And in neurosomatic t- intelligence, we actually consciously test. So we test our mobility by uh-huh. turning our neck or you know, our torso before we do the drill, then we do the drill and then we retest. Nine times out of 10, if it's a successful go, we will have right. more mobility. And that's because the nervous system is the operating system of our body. So this is so profound. It's so significant. I think what I'm hearing you say is because I think when you say turn your head left or right and then be able to turn it left or right more, I would think like, oh, we stretched. Yeah. But what you're actually saying is no, we're communicating to the nervous system, it's safe. Mm-hmm. And then because the nervous system goes more into a safe state things relax and we probably just naturally then have an increased range of motion. Is that, am I kind of understanding what you're getting at? Yeah, essentially, right? So if you think about the bundles of nerves that leave our, leave our, the base of our skull, right? Right, right. When we're more regulated, right? So I think about chronic pain, like chronic pain that's not related to an injury. Right, right, right. Back pain, neck pain, shoulder pain. Yeah, yeah. This work has really helped people get out of chronic pain outputs because the chronic pain that is idiopathic, right? That our doctors say, oh, there's really no reason for it. No explanation. Yeah. It's actually the nervous system, right? So that's right. why we use mobility tests as a as our baseline test. Yeah. This is so, I mean, I'm so appreciative of this conversation. There's, I mean, I feel like a lot of gears are kind of coming together really nicely for me. I'm having conversations about the stuff it brings together. So I hope the listeners are enjoying this as much as I am, because at least this has been so fantastic. Awesome. I think some, as I was, we're talking about this last segment, I think one of those things that comes up for people with money oftentimes is this issue of willpower. Mm. And I think about like willpower as this kind of trying to psychologically override everything else. Yeah. And then as I'm thinking about like bringing our nervous system into regulation, like the need for willpower almost goes out the window. I'm imagining. I'm just kind of trying to put these pieces together and see what you think. I don't know if that's true, but it seems like if our nervous system is in a good, safe, regulated state, like we're going to have the energy to go forward towards whatever it is that we need to accomplish. We won't have yeah. to like force ourselves to have the hard conversation or do the hard thing. It's like no, I'm just going to go have the conversation. I'm going to do the next natural thing that's going to help me grow my business or take care of my household finances. Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, to your point about overriding, you know, I think we culturally have learned to bypass a lot on the nervous (laughs) system level, right? Like 
we've learned to bypass. And that's really what, what you're saying, right? I, the, my interpretation right. of it anyway yeah. is that that there's this like overriding of trauma responses or stress responses, right? Like right. it's okay. I think of those motivational posters at the gym, like <laughs> I can't even, like I'm thinking of like no pain, no gain, right? But I know yeah. there's a whole right. bunch of different ways to say that, but But yeah, like to override that, to get to that pinnacle. And here's the thing. I believe that it is important to shift our mindsets. I think I said this earlier. I do. I think that that can really, it can really help us and support us. But if that shift is considered a threat, like really we're going to be bypassing and potentially suppressing more and more and more of those stress responses. That's what I'm saying. I think that when we focus on the operating level of the body, then the interpretation, right? That's that second step that we talked about. That interpretation is different. And so maybe we wouldn't need willpower, right? Like confidence. I will say this, and I know the podcast that you alluded to at the beginning of our conversation, I talked about this a lot on that podcast, the Yin Yoga podcast. I healed my people-pleasing output through nervous system regulation. Oh, bomb just dropped a big, like, not a bomb because that has any, like, a big, a wonderful gift. You just dropped a big gift. So go there because yeah. I, I want to hear more about this. So, and this is really, I think this is potent for us to talk about regarding money conversations because there's oftentimes, and you probably see this a lot in your work, where people will abdicate, right? What their actual desire is in a partnership because they don't want to get into conflict. But like people-pleasing or fawning, right? Yes. It's a behavioral adaptation and it's there to protect us, right? It's it's to help keep us safe from conflict. And so I was, oh, like for decades, I mean, I've been an entrepreneur for over 20 years and the first three quarters of my my career as an entrepreneur was fraught with boundaryless, not truth-speaking. Yes. I was going to say not standing my ground, but that sounds really like aggressive. It's more just about being confident in my own, my own skill to be able to stand in that place and let people come and go as they will. Right. Right. Instead of bending to their whim or not speaking my truth. And when I started working actively working with my nervous system, like not only has it healed, but I can really see myself going into it and be able to pull myself back. And that's so, through the nervous system from the, the nervous system level. So this is a really profound to me because where I've spent a lot of time in research and study is around attachment theory and attachment styles. Yeah. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with that kind of body mm-hmm. of work. Yeah. For me, anxious attachment and people pleasing are synonymous. Yeah. Right. And I think that that understanding of the psychological process of attachment styles has been so helpful. What a great lens. Mm. Has set some guidance for like what does a healthy relationship look like? But what I'm really coming down into is like beneath that anxious attachment or avoidant attachment is a dysregulated nervous system or a, a hyper rigid nervous system that doesn't allow us to enjoy the fluidity of relationships, the comfort of coming and going, receiving and letting go. And so Mm -hmm. I'm curious if that, that kind of resonates with what you've discovered in your own work. 
Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. There's, I'm going to drop my mentors in the NSI work, the neurosomatic intelligence work, have a great podcast called Trauma Rewired. And okay. they did, oh, what was it, like two months ago, a month and a half ago, they did an episode on attachment styles and from the nervous system perspective. And it is it, like, uh, highly recommend specifically because yeah. you're interested in that body of work that listening to it from that perspective and also from my own personal experience and what I see with my with my clients like I work with a lot of Gen X women and we were I mean that was like our generation was was taught to suppress don't rock the boat please other people make sure everyone else is taken care of before you were and so essentially what we and I am in that that's my generation so essentially what we've discovered collectively and and in my own I'll speak for myself right now that once the signals were rewired the I was able to stand in my stand in my center more so and not get pulled as I said so yeah I think I agree I, I think that a lot of attachment and communication and all of these, it's like the root of it is a dysregulated nervous system. It's such sure. an, it's not just our psychological makeup. It's not just behavioral patterns, not just emotion. It's our nervous system. It's such a, they're an integrated system. But once we know the parts, and if what I'm walking away this, from this conversation is like, the nervous system really regulates up through all of it. And I think in the field, they talk a lot about bottom-up regulation yeah. versus top-down regulation. And, mm-hmm. and when we talk about bottom-up regulation, we're referring to the nervous system. Because I think if I understand human growth and development from in the inner uterine environment, our nervous system is the first part of the, the growing fetus, right? Like that's where everything grows from is from cells dividing and dividing into a nervous system before even a brain. You're nodding your head, yes, and smiling. So I think we're on the same page. I'm always hesitant to say these things. I'm like, this is not my exact area of expertise. No, but yes. you nailed it. And something really important for all of us to know and remember for those of your listeners that are parents, and I, I think even just it's a great bit of information yeah. for any of us is that until like 18 months, 18, 20 months, we're solely reliant on our primary caregivers for regulation to learn what that is. So from the beginning of our life, as we are those cells dividing, and I'm not a, you know, I'm not a scientist in in that way, right? I wouldn't call myself a scientist at all, actually. But but I know that like, as you say, as we replicate, as we divide into these beings, nervous system first, Right. right? We also are reliant on other people to teach us how to respond until we start becoming more curious, right? As we develop and as our brain starts to develop in our, in our toddlerhood. I want to pick up on this, at least because I think we use that word teach so regularly. And I, when I think about teach, I think about like words given. But mm. when you're talking about teach, I think what you're saying is experientially modeling the ability of staying regulated and showing up for the child in distress. And as I think about this, I, this is an ongoing process. It's a practice. But just earlier today, I have three boys. The two youngest ones were getting ready to get out to school. The youngest one's trying to pack his backpack with snow globes to take for show and share. And his brother, who's a year older than him in first grade, says, 
you don't want to do that. Don't take it. It's going to break. I saw it happen last year and I'm you know rushing out the door and I'm already frenetic in my head. So I'm not well-regulated, mm. but it's, it's just below the surface. So the kids don't know, fully know that. And I just explode. I'm like, leave your brother alone. Stop. And then I just watch my poor first grader just kind of collapse yeah. into shame. And like, why is my dad freaking out? I'm just trying to help my brother make sure his snow globe doesn't break. But I'm interpreting it as you're bullying your brother, just leave him alone, like stop telling what. So we can get in these messes, but this is where, as we can grow our awareness of nervous system to emotional connection to bonding and then repair. And so, like, while I wasn't well regulated at the moment, I was like, okay, gotta take a breath for a moment to go calm. And I was like, okay, what, what do you need to do now? You need to repair and acknowledge and help your first grader understand Mm -hmm. that dad was already feeling anxious and that this event put me over. I had this big response. It didn't feel good for you. I'm sorry. Do we get upset with each other sometimes? Yes. Can we still repair? Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's trying to teach them the sequence of events and how these things work at all these levels. And it's, I'm a Gen Xer as well. I don't think, I think kids can understand this stuff. This is not like super complicated when you break it down. If we learn about how our bodies and our nervous systems give shape to emotion, man, we can change the world. Change the world. Yes, absolutely. There's a, I did my polyvagal study with Deb Dana, who is the mama, the teacher the work of Stephen Porges's work and aside from Stephen I know there are other people that teach it but um she has a book called Anchored so if you want to pop that yeah. in, the, in the show notes she has a, a beautiful saying that is our story follows our state Ooh. and you just out yeah yeah it's a yeah, good one that's a good that's a truth moment there uh, mic drop and I think you just outlined that perfectly like you were already the threat but remember I mentioned the threat bucket so like from yes, the NSI yes, perspective, threat bucket like, was definitely full Yeah, it was like over, it was like the one thing it's like, you know, we heard straw that broke the back, right? But this is like the drop that overflowed the bucket. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that what, and then how you so beautifully had that conversation with your son and described that to him, essentially you were, you were describing that, like your story, like what happened, how you communicated followed. Like I was already feeling this amount of stress and this is what happened. Right. Right. Yeah. I think it's a beautiful saying for all of us to remember, like, especially even when we're ruminating and up there and, and how, oh, I think about those conversations with money, with our partners, story (laughs) following states. Yeah. Story following. Yes. At least this has been such a rich and wonderful time together. As we bring this conversation to a close, I know there'll be future conversations, but how can people connect with you and your work? What's some of the best ways for people to find you? If you're on social media, I'm on Instagram at Elise Bessler. And there's that threads too. I don't know. It's like an offshoot of Instagram. I think I signed up for it and then I've never been on it, but that's also Elise Bessler. And my website is elisebessler.com. Makes it really simple, Elise. Elise Bessler, Google her. She's got a website. She's on Instagram. And Elise, thank you so much for your generosity of time and the journey that you're on and taking and helping inform more people about the power of their nervous system and 
and the importance of working with it. Thank you so much for having me. I invite you now to stop for five or 10 minutes and reflect on what you just heard. Maybe even journal about it. Give yourself the time to consider what you just heard and what it means to you. By giving yourself the time to reflect and integrate what you just heard, it will help you along your journey of learning, healing, and growing towards financial intimacy in your life. Please like and follow this podcast and share with someone that would benefit from being on the journey of financial intimacy. Wishing you healthy love and money, Ed. Ed.